Kittens. We are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the goddamn Brando cast. Joining me today, she is a writer, she is an actor, she is a stand-up, and she is also the co-star of the very amazing web series. And how many web series can you say that about? They're fucking amazing. But this one is, this is Bitter Homes and Gardens, starring Larry Clark and his wife, who is my guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Fielding Edlo. Thanks, Brendan. And it's true. Uh, web series, a little piece of my soul dies every time I have to say web series, but I really appreciate that. Well, here's the thing about <laughs> web series. For people who live outside the city of Los Angeles, every fucking person has a web series, but they're not all good and they're not all well done. And Bitter Homes and Gardens is good and well done. So appreciate that, buddy. I mean, listen, it wasn't we needed to have a deluge of of guest stars. So it's not just like us being indulgent in our kitchen, yelling at each other. So we were lucky with some guest stars. But also, it's such high quality. I mean, that's it's so hard to to pull off. I don't know, you know, what Thanks. favors you guys are calling in, but it looks amazing. Well, we called them. It all. Sounds amazing. We called. Them all. You called them on. We okay, yeah. Good. We called it literally. We were like, you never have to speak to us again. You know, we'll send you many baskets of muffins, and we had a very um particular. Uh, our director had a particular aesthetic. It's like he was very particular, which can be slightly irritating, but in the end, you're like, oh, I'm so glad he was like that. Can you tell the people listening to the podcast today just a quick summarization of what Bitter Homes and Gardens is all about? Yes. So Bitter Homes and Gardens is a web series based on my real life, very dysfunctional marriage with my character actor husband, Larry Clark. Um, Basically, it's about two very insecure, broken, needy people in a somewhat functional relationship just trying to claw their way to the middle. So, you know, our long, our primary love language is like long-term creative gaslighting and season two is just about us, you know, surviving, not thriving, surviving in the pandemic, not so unlike our life before the pandemic, sadly, but stakes are raised. And, you know, basically if the Macbeths uh, were pursuing vain podcasting projects instead of murder, is has there always been competition between the two of you professionally? Yes. Yes. I mean, to the point where even in the beginning, Larry would be like, I don't understand why you're competitive with me. Like I am a balding middle-aged character actor. Like you're you, like, why are you competitive? <laughs> and, 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 he'll, and then he'd like get very kind of mean and be like, you can't do what I do. Like I, you know, I do David Rabe and O'Neill. Like I, you just have a snack vlog in your kitchen or you do your little like clown stuff at flappers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fuck you, Larry. Yeah. Talking about yeah. my friend fielding yeah, exactly. like that. Come on. Fuck you, Larry. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Our, our foreplay is like Froyo and insults. So that's really what it's about. <laughs> okay. Do you, there's a whole bunch of, of brand new episodes of bitter homes on YouTube right now for people listening at home. Uh, do, will you be unleashing any more that way or what's the, um, what's the rollout yeah, so for season we two? Unleashed, um, supposedly I really was, um, you know, overwritten i did too many so we had to break up even the last episode into two-parter but yes season two has 10 episodes they're brand new enjoy them go back to season one which you'll find on youtube if you happen to miss season one and then the goal is to not self-produce in our kitchen anymore and we're taking meetings and pitching to sell this and go on another platform so we can save our marriage and save our dignity 
Well, it's high quality. Thank it's you. So it's so hard to get anything done in this fucking city, um, but you guys have an awesome calling it's card uh, before you walk in the room. I appreciate. And of course, you, I appreciate that you got to work with the you got to work with the great Dave Keckner. Oh my, who's just like a, a sweetheart. Like I literally was like Dave. Like I don't know him that well. Larry knows him. Whatever. He was a Fusco brother in Twin Peaks, and I was like improvise whatever you want. Like literally say whatever the fuck you want. This is one of our great improvisers. And he's like fielding. You took the time to write it. No, I'm going to do what you wrote. And I was like, Dave, do whatever the fuck you want. And, uh, but yeah. And everyone was just really kind. Like Billy Gardell is so kind. Chris Fairbanks, like everyone was just like, everyone was just such a good person about the whole thing. Like our, their green room was like my kid's bedroom like they just get over scrunchies and like lol dolls well congratulations i so i love it it's fantastic um if you ever need a scruffy guy to deliver food to the set or or carry cables or be a pa i have so much experience from the 90s uh being a pa so i'm always available oh i feel like you Uh, would be in a higher position but yes let lock and load let's do it can I really be in a higher <laughs> position? I don't know. I don't think so. Let's let's mo- maybe move you up to EP at least. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fair. I'm so excited to have Fielding today because we're going to talk about a band that we have not covered on the Brando cast. One of the most important bands in the history of rock and roll and a band that just got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about the Go-Go's. The Go-Go's are an American rock band formed in Los Angeles, California in 1978. The band's classic lineup consists of Charlotte Caffey on lead guitar and keyboards, Belinda Carlisle on lead vocals, Gina Shock on drums, Kathy Valentine on bass, and of course, Jane Wheedland on rhythm guitar. The band rose to fame during the early 1980s, and in 1982, the band topped the Billboard charts with their debut album, Beauty and the Beat, a still unequaled first for an all-female band writing their own material and playing their own instruments. Fielding Edlo, tell me about your love of the Go-Go's. I mean, I have to say it started with when I, I went to sleepaway camp at Camp Laurel, and we had to do a skit for skit night. And whoa, whoa, wait, wait, time out, time out, time, holy fucking shit, wait, did you say Camp Laurel, Camp Laurel in Maine, about an hour outside of Augusta? Yes! Were you there in the summer of 1990? No. Uh, Because you're looking at a camp counselor from Camp Laurel. Shut up. Staring you right in the face. Wasn't it the best summer of your life? Um, okay. It was a weird <laughs> summer cause it was, it was the summer right after I graduated from college and a whole bunch of people that I went to school with were counselors at Camp Laurel. I'm having a holy fucking shit moment cause I've known Fielding for a little while, but I don't think this has ever come up. Oh my no. fucking God Fielding. Yeah. I spent the entire summer as a, as a camp counselor at, uh, at Camp Laurel, which is a phenomenal camp for all the fabulous children of the Upper East Side in Manhattan. <laughs> and uh I'm, I'm I, outing myself. Yeah, this is where the Jews from New York go. We scampered uh, in the summer. <laughs> oh yeah. Westchester, Upper East Side, come on down. Uh, <laughs> but it was a it was like a resort for children. It was less a camp, but more of a result. 
I have so many stories from Camp Laurel, but as we go on through the p- podcast, maybe I'll drop a couple. I'm but, blown okay. away. This is like going to open up like a series of conversations probably for the next five to 10 years. I was in the five-year club. I went from, so nine to 13, I want to say from like 84, no, like 82, 82 to 89 maybe. And I... It was like, literally my mom was like, they'd sent me away for like a month. And I called back and I was like, no, 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 I'm here for two months. Like, I'm not coming home. I don't ever want to come home. I'm water skiing barefoot. I'm eating pancakes for like for dinner. Like I was like running that camp. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, fielding. Yeah. The summer that I was the I camp. First kiss. Or... And I have to just quickly slide in first kiss. Sorry. Uh, and who was, who was the first, first kiss? kiss was- First kiss with Jeremy Reifer, who had a night brace. There you go. I just <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Um, wow. The, the summer I was there, a, a boater out on the lake uh, died. It was a very traumatic day. There was a guy, like, fishing, like, like two or 300 yards right off of the beach for, where Camp Laurel was on that lake. I forget the name of that lake. Echo, um, Echo maybe? Echo? Was it called Lake Echo or something? Yeah, something, some shit. Like right. That. Yeah. And and by the way, listeners, uh, not to bore you with details, but there were like five other camps around this lake. So you could kind of see some of the camps in the distance. But this guy was fishing yeah. and he put his, uh, he, like, he put an anchor down. And he forgot that he put the anchor down, gunned the engine, spun the boat, fell in the lake. The next thing you know, all these trucks from all over that part of rural Maine just came trying to fly into uh, Camp Laurel to um, to uh, wow. see the disaster before the rescue teams got there. And uh, I was I, along with some other counselors, had to go up to the main gate on the main road and try to keep the local yokels from coming down into the camp. Oh, my uh, Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, the kids were crying. It was like a whole traumatic day. It was like, that was like, I mean, there were so many stories from that summer. But that, I, wow, that's in, that is really intense. I mean, that's, that feels like that was like a lot of kids' college essay about when they really saw like tragedy on Echo Lake. Wow, that's intense. Wow. My only drive was to be like the most beloved counselor. And there was this British guy. His name was Richard. And he had been there for a couple years. He was like, tall and handsome and he had this long hair but he didn't really have like a rock and roll edge so i was that guy i tried of to be course. rock and roll i'm guy. sure yeah. like i know i feel like if i just tap into my camp laurel facebook group they're like oh yeah brendan i mean i i know that i was obsessed with the tennis staff and all i wanted to do was look forward to like the socials where i would slow dance with scott to the theme song of saint elmo's fire and literally be like I'm in heaven. Like that was where my daddy issues like took off. It's like, I only like, you know, men 14 years older than me. <laughs> I, uh, when I, we got there, cause we had to do a week of, um, like prep before the kids got there. We had uh, like a whole thing. Uh, the male counselors, they were like, look, uh, here's the top crime and the top crime <laughs> in the world is you, you flirting or you hooking up with a, with a kid. Because some of these girls are 14, 15, 16, and they will come at you. Like their whole thing was like, they will try. Yes. yes. And and I remember the day that I was on the soccer field and there was a, a lovely young girl from Westchester County who was like the lead, the leader of a pack of like four, four or five girls. And they circled me on the soccer field. And one by one, they're like, oh, wait, I forgot something. I got to go back to my cabin. I did, too. And they all peeled away to leave me alone 
in the middle of the soccer field with the girl who had the crush on me. And I, I put oh. the kibosh on that really fast. <laughs> that, that is like some hardcore, like subterfuge, like oceans 11 shit. Like we're at, no, no, I see it. I see. It. I was like way too. Sh- I wasn't, hadn't become the sort of, yeah. Overly friendly whore that I did in high school. Sorry. <laughs> I was still like a nice girl. I just had like upset, but I, but yeah, I said there were some, there's some stuff going. Camp Laurel. Okay, so the Go-Go's were in the air at Camp Laurel outside of Reedfield, Maine in the summers of the uh, the early and mid-80s. Right, so I was in the bunk, the Toeys, and it was like literally like Camp Skit Night. It was like, I think it was the Toeys. I think it was in the Toeys lot. And we were like, and I think I was, um, I think I was the lead. I think I was like a, the Yiddish Charlotte Kathy, <laughs> her name is in the front, with our like Fiorucci miniskirts and Madonna bracelets. And I remember it was like, it was a highlight of my life, maybe. I mean, as sad as that's sad. It was really... And I remember we were the best. I think we won, and it was just, like, girl power, and we were channeling, and it was right in the zeitgeist of the Go-Go's, and it was exciting. It was a really exciting night. Like, we went all out. Um, the last story I'll give you before yeah. I move on to some more Go-Go's stuff was this. Um, one day, in my drive to be the cool guy counselor, <laughs> I... Uh, took a little boat out, took one of the little sunfish boats out at uh, the lunch break. And I was out on the lake and I flipped it on purpose and did the help, 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 help. Just a shtick. And I got dressed down so bad because Ron of Ron and Nancy, if you remember Ron and Nancy, the owners oh, of yes, the camp, I do. Yes, I do. Ron was, Ron was like, look, the kids look up to you. And I cannot have them impersonating you or following you or doing the stuff that you're doing. You have got to like slow it down or I'm going to have to let you go. And this was like midway through because, because I was, you know, again, I was trying to be cool guy rather than like think of child children's safety, you know, a hundred percent of the time, but I did pull it back around. And at the end, both Ron and Nancy sat me down and they were like, we loved you so much. We want you to come back. Uh, we want you to be a part of, of the whole thing here, but, uh, but I only did it for one summer because I moved to LA as soon as I was done with camp. Yeah. I was the chaperone on the plane back to Manhattan where I was going to visit some friends. Can't imagine. And then I, I actually had lunch at the, what was it called? The America cafe, uh, in the village with a bunch of kids, like a couple days later, you're clearly the leader. I mean, you were clearly like, you didn't have to do like, clearly you didn't even have to try. Like you were the Pied Piper. Like I just can see the whole thing. Yeah, no, no. I, well, you know, think about, think about what other kind of person wants to be a camp counselor at 20 or 21. You know what I mean? Like a a lot of them were life, a good person. A lot of them were lifers. Yeah. But, um, Oh uh, my God, this is blowing my mind. By the way, I just had an image of Rummel's. It was called Rummel's. Wow. Yeah. I just pulled that out of, I don't know what, but yeah, no, Nancy, Nancy and Ron, they were good folk, you know, but yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. There's probably a corner named after you. <laughs> well, I'll, t- I have, uh, when a f- uh, friend's child was looking at camps, I was like, Oh, let's go check out the website for camp Laurel. And now more than ever, I mean, it does look like uh, a four seasons resort for children. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't being nice like i definitely remember like the arts i mean 
Yeah, I just remember like all the sort of like Riverdale, Fieldston, but like I sort of wanted to get away from New York City because it's such an incinerating, incestuous experience. And it really is this like funnel from Roslyn to or like Great Neck. I mean, I feel like we look down on the Long Island kids. We're like, we're city. Like we're city. You know what I mean? Like, please step off. Like, please. It was, those are exciting. I mean, my, it's so weird because my kid, I'm just, all I want is to give that to my kid. But I think because she's having, I think a happier childhood than I did. She's like, I just want to hang with you guys. Why would I want to go to sleepaway camp? And I'm like, no, I'm Googling boarding schools in Stad. Like you have to go away somewhere. And she's like, no, let's hang with you guys. We are now the toys of Formed in the L.A. punk scene back in 1978, the Go-Go's initially consisted of Belinda Carlisle, Jane Wheedland, Margot Olivaria on bass, and Alyssa Bello on drums. The band began playing gigs at punk venues such as The Mask and The Whiskey A Go-Go, alongside bands such as X and Fear. Charlotte Caffey joined in 1978, largely because the band needed someone who could play their own instrument. And in the summer of 1979, Gina Shock replaced Bello on drums. With these lineup changes, the group began moving towards their more familiar power pop sound. The group frequently met at the Denny's on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, and it was there that they chose the band's name. During late 1979, the band recorded a five-song demo at Gold Star Studios, and in 1980, they supported Madness and the Specials in both L.A. and England, where the band earned a sizable following after releasing the demo version of We Got the Beat on Stiff Records. In December of 1980, original bass player Olivaria felt ill with hepatitis and was replaced by Kathy Valentine, who played guitar in bands such as Girl School and the Textones. And before we get into uh, a little bit of a go-go discussion, I want to say this. Belinda Carlisle, a.k.a. Dottie Danger, had briefly been a member of The Germs, but got mono and left that band before playing one gig. And the cool thing about that fielding for me is that both Pat Smear of The Germs, who's now in the Foo Fighters, and Belinda both get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And Belinda Carlisle had this recent quote, which is so cool to me. Pat Smear and myself met in 1977 trying to get Freddie Mercury's autograph at the Beverly Hilton. We were kids, and we were with Lorna and Darby, and we formed a punk band called The Germs. I was the drummer who never played. Fast forward 44 years later, and we're both here in Cleveland, for the ceremony. I fantasize about being in LA in the late seventies and particip- participating in that, uh, in that punk scene. I, I have like a romance of like that period of time of like living in some bullshit apartment near Hollywood and Western. And, you know, just being one of the kids in that scene, because so many of my favorite bands came out of that deal. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I just wish I was there. Like I passed the whiskey a go-go now and I'm just like, I, I've never been inside, but I think it was not to like take focus from Go-Go's, but I remember when I saw the Doors movie and I saw that part of the scene and that was when I kind of became enamored with like what that scene, which I don't know, it was probably before Go-Go's, but like, yeah, I was just in New York. I never, ever was like. Okay. So you grew up, you did, you grew up in Manhattan. Yes. All right. Well, <laughs> now that we've discovered Camp Laurel, Give me your version of New York as a high school kid. Base, I mean, I want to say just like a gentle gray out the whole time, just running around the East Village. But I mean, 
I, it was exciting. I mean, I think it was sort of bifurcated in that, like, ugh, we'll deal with the, like, ugh, guys in our grade playing quarters in their, you know, apartment, and, you know, but then we'd be, like, annoyed, and we'd go downtown and just go to the, now, the Saint, the Saint was big, so the na- Saint, Nels, or the Limelight, and we would be, it's so, we'd just be in these, like, little skirts and our, like, shoes, and we would, I remember bouncers just, like, like, pulling us inside. Like we would never wait. Like it would, I just literally remember because this would never happen to me. (laughs) Let's get that middle-aged snack vlogger into like, but like, I remember it being so this incredible, just being like this tornado. And then like, I was just talking to my friends about this and like a photographer came up to us in limelight and they're like, I want to take pictures of you. And I remember we were like, okay. And one by one, we went down to his loft and like the first, like, like Jocelyn, like just, you know, had her shirt on and like Jessica, like still had her shirt on. But of course me, I was like, I'll take my shirt off. I don't care. Like, no, me too. And he was actually like a gentleman, but and he was like, oh, would you remove your panties? And I was like, no, somehow a boundary happened <laughs> at like 16 and they're somewhere. What? These pictures are somewhere. And I remember we were like, didn't even think that much of it. We're like, oh, did Jason Goltz take pictures? Of, what it, did he make you get on the chair with the Cure Royale? But it didn't even what? occur to us that this was crazy. Like, we were just like, oh, have fun. Someone wants to take a picture of us. Oh, my God. So you never went You never went uh, two or three together? It was just one-on-one? No, it was one, it was just one by one. And, and like, there's no like cell phone or like nobody has a pager. Like, no, we weren't even like, just text to see if you're okay. Like there's none of that. We were just like, good luck. And he, he you, was, you never saw the I proofs or anything? An, I, we were just talking about this. Dinner. Jessica said that he did send us like some envelope of like proofs. Cause, and then Jocelyn was like, I think cause Jocelyn had like the biggest rack. So she had like, it was like this gauzy, sheer curtain in front of her like double d and i remember i was more like i don't know trying to be like i thought i was yiddish nico in the velvet underground but not you know it's so sad um but yeah that was just like a it was just like us running i mean i have this joke that i do on stage was basically like by when you grow up in new york city by the end of kindergarten you're just like this 45 year old emotionally broken divorcee like you've just done it all and like seen it all (laughs) Do you watch Real Housewives of New York City? I do not. <laughs> okay. Well, um, believe it or not, your friend Brendan does watch that program. And um, <laughs> I, I highly recommend it to you. Uh, it, it, I, guess, I, I feel like at, at one point I was like, I'd prefer to watch the Real Housewives of Sarajevo. Like, I can't, it's too close to home. You know what I mean? But I'll, yeah. I'll, I respect you immensely. I'll dip in and see what's going on. Yeah, I mean they're all awful people, but uh, I, I think that it'll 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 spark something uh, in you. Um, where where else did you guys run around? What other clubs did you go to? I mean, you know, it's funny because like Avenue D and C like were very different, like really, really fucking different. Like I remember even in my like drunken, psychotic, hey, like satanic COVID, I remember being like, "This is dangerous. This feels a little dangerous." <laughs> like, so. But, but the thing is, so we'd have, I mean, I can only really remember, wait, was it like, um, there, the Nell, it was mostly the Saint and Limelight. And I feel like, oh, Horatio 151, Horatio, does that ring a bell? Horatio 113. Well, I didn't grow up in Manhattan. I knew some of them. I knew Nell's. Everyone knew about Nell's and Obar. Obar. Yes. Obar and Horatio. And the Mad Hatter. 
Yes. So yeah. And so, and Dorian, so we were friends. Dorian. I'm not name dropping, but Danny Dorian was in, was our year. So we would <laughs> go into Danny Dorian where you feel like people were getting like some circle jerk insanity going on in the bathroom. But, um, but we also had like a really kind of decrepit, like old school, old Irish bar, like kind of just like O'Shaughnessy's or like the, what was that? Like just really gritty bars that we'd go to on the Upper East Side or downtown, which was always fun for us, you know, because we were not like. When did the, when did the Central Park Strangler thing go down? Wasn't that like 80? Yeah. I mean, I think I was in college then, although do you have your, um, Brando cast intern Googling assiduous? <laughs> I wish there was a Brando cast. <laughs> there will be. There will be. Um, I hope so. Um, but yeah, that was what was like 85, 86. Yes. It was maybe I 87 was for it. Like I remember um, we had also, a, our, this was terrible. This, the president of, I went to Spence and the president mm-hmm. of Spence was leaving a bar and, and was hit by a car and, and died. It was horrible, horrible, horrible. So that, yes, like you'd get like woken up by like, big shit happen, you know? And then you'd be like, no, you know, let's go back to blah, 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 like taking off my shirt and nails and like go home with weird people, you know? And like taking, like, I just remember a lot of cabs, like a lot of wine coolers and cabs. I feel like I vaguely, you know, I just, and which was fun. Like it was like, I didn't learn to drive until I was 26. Like I only did it cause I was like obsessed with the guy in Texas. And he's like, well, you don't drive. How can you move here? I like did it for him, but it was like, it was just a lot of just, yeah, Tasmanian devil. And and I saw, I, I love going to the Beacon. You know, I definitely remember seeing like the replacements and Camper Van Beethoven and some really cool stuff in New York then. Okay. Well, and as everyone knows who listens to this podcast on a regular basis, uh, the replacements are the most important band uh, to me in the history of, of all time. So uh, my jealousy factor towards you is insanely high right now. After being rejected by nearly every major label in Los Angeles, the Go-Go's signed with Miles Copeland and IRS Records in April of 1981. The band then released their debut album in July of that year, and Beauty and the Beat entered Billboard's top LPs and tape chart that August. The album yielded two of the Go-Go's three biggest hits, Our Lips Were Sealed, and We Got the Beat. And after a long and steady climb, it reached number one on the charts on March 6, 1982, while the band was on tour with the police. The album stayed at the top for six consecutive weeks, eventually selling more than two million copies, making it one of the most successful debut albums of all time. The group was nominated for the Best New Artist at the 24th Annual Grammy Awards. I was in seventh or eighth grade when that record really, no, eighth grade when that record hit like a bomb. And uh, I was at the height of my metal phase uh, during that period of time. But uh, I always loved Beauty and the Beat. I mean, what an incredible record. It's like a per, you know, I hate, I don't use the word perfect, but it's like one of those albums. I mean, it's just like it has everything that I've listened to it so many times over and over and over. And it just was like meaningful. Like it kind of, it just hits. You're so, you know, it's just like, it was like, they made this gift and it, you know, and I'll still put it on, you know, I mean, there's not that many albums that like 
still I get as jazzed by, you know. Um, when did you start your sort of creative journey? Did you start that in New York City as a teenager? Um, no. I was just completely shut down creatively. I mean, I had no idea. I, I mean, I remember taking a creative writing class and just being like it was just an alien thing. So it really wasn't until um, I just fell into this uh, intro to acting course senior year at college. And, you know, I was like, I can't, I'm like, a, I can't cry on cue. I'm like an unrepentant, can't unrepentant whore who can't cry on cue. But I was like, I... I was like, I like this. So that was when that happened. Cause I was, I was told to marry rich and volunteer Planned Parenthood is what I was told to mm-hmm. do. But mm-hmm. then my, wait, wait, Spence, uh, Spence, that was, that was the message of Spence that the fabulous all girl school Spence was get marry a rich not guy. Spence. And okay. Not, Sp- yeah. Good call. Good call. No, that was just Mary and Kenneth Edlow. That was just my parents. Just not, but my brother, my brother is a neurologist at Harvard, so he got some different messaging, but um, I take responsibility. I take responsibility for my life. But yeah, I just didn't, I was lost. I was really lost, but I did like enjoy this acting class. It was, um, I was like, I'm not, I'm not good at, th- I'm not that great at this. I mean, I, somebody, he's, he's kind of saying I have something, I have a cool resonant voice because I, I steamed open his letter of recommendation. <laughs> Um, but then I went to the neighborhood playhouse is where he told me to go. So that's what started it was actually at UPenn was this elective. You went to Penn. Yes. Uh, Once again, you and I are in parallel worlds because, uh, and people who know me know the story very well that when my parents divorced, my father moved to Philadelphia in 1985. So all the summers of the late eighties, and he lived in center city, like in the middle of oh yeah city. yeah uh, so I had uh, I would go and work at his law firm at Rittenhouse Square every summer oh wow when I was, uh, uh, late late high school and then first couple years of college uh, wow. and so I would go to see all those shows around the the bars and clubs of uh, you know because there's so many great colleges and in, in Philadelphia people that all the bands would come to Philadelphia. It's a fabulous place to see music. The Chestnut Cabaret, the Ambler Cabaret, you know, the Trocadero, Chestnut all the Cabaret places. Cabaret is, yeah. is, is, is magical. And I ha- if, if I may, my favorite rock show I ever saw was at the fucking Chestnut Cabaret. Like, I think I even just talked about this in social media. It was, it was whole. And Kurt had recently died. So she was this raw, pulsating, even more just ball of and it was the most exciting show i've ever seen like theater comedy rock she did it and then she courtney i'm like she is if she's my friend and then she like dove into the audience you know they ripped off all her clothes she went back on stage and she's like fuck you guys ripped my favorite garters and then i remember with my friend we drove back to west philly like because i had a friend with the car and we just listened to live through this after the show for like 45 minutes that's fantastic yeah. did you have fun at penn I did. I, I, you know, again, it was like this sort of a little insular New York city group I fell in, but I feel like when people did their little semester abroad, Oh my God, I'm really outing myself. (laughs) But that was when I'm like, I, I'm the new girl. Like let's make some new friends. So junior years, I feel like when it really got exciting, so I got to break out of the fucking Jewy New York city, just like, you know, like you can't date him. Like he can't finger you at the Palladium. Like I'm with him. You know what I mean? Just this very, Oh my God. 
I think I'm just like this kept housewife that I'm like I'm getting unleashed on your podcast, Brendan, because I'm like listening to myself. I'm like, I feel like people are going to need a personality colonic after this. Uh, if you've seen Bitter Homes and Gardens, I don't think that it's a surprise. <laughs> you know how to work blue. On July 20th, 1982, the Go-Go's released Vacation. The band's second album received mixed reviews and sold less than Beauty and the Beat. However, Vacation was certified gold in the U.S. and spawned another top 10 hit with the title track. Other singles released from that album were Get Up uh, or Get Up and Go and This Old Feeling. During the album's promotion, though, the group went on hiatus when Gina Shock underwent surgery for a congenital heart defect. On March 19, 1984, the group released their third record, Talk Show, and the singles Head Over Heels and Turn To You were both top 40 hits in the U.S. Despite the favorable reception, the album sold less than the previous two. Personality conflicts and creative differences within the group were also taking a toll on the Go-Go's during this period of time, as were drug addiction problems for some of the band members. Jane Wheedland announced her departure from the group in October of 1984. The Go-Go's tried to carry on without Wheedland, but Carlisle and Kathy soon realized their hearts were no longer in the group and decided to disband the band in May of 1985. The Go-Go's leave us in May of 1985. Um, give me a portrait of you, and specifically in the year 1985. So 1985, um, I'm just straddling between like Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase and being like a little, like I just, I'm a gymnast and I just want to do the right thing. And like being invited into the cool group and going out. So we, I grew up on 85th and Madison. So there was this building on 89th and Madison. That was one of the tallest buildings. It was like a wind tunnel and we called it the Red Islands. And we would just drink forties on the Red Islands or maybe go to like, that's what we were doing. Just going like behind a rock or behind the Met in Central Park or like the Red Islands. Cause like we couldn't go to Dorian's yet. So like, do you want to go to the Red Islands? You want to go to the Red Islands? And we would just kind of go up and, you know, and, and all my friends, they were like, Olivia was on 89th in Madison. Jocelyn was on 90th in park. And it was like, we sort of try, you know, so I, I definitely was straddling that line of like, Cause in, in my head, I was like, my life is about to drastically change. You know, that like still small voice in you when you're like, something comes in and you're like, my life is about to change and I don't know what it's going to look like. So it was scary, but exciting. And I guess, yeah, but very good gymnast. Yeah. I was a pretty serious gymnast for like the private school. So I wasn't like, what's her name? Michaela, whatever the fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Michaela, whatever the fuck. So was there competition? I did a lot. Yeah. yeah. That was like all year round too, pretty much. Wow. Um, do you have any medals or trophies from that period of time? I do. I have them right in my closet. Right <laughs> I think, I mean, Larry literally says to me, you have to stop talking about gymnastics. Like it was a really long time ago and you always talk about it. <laughs> well, it's a form- it was a formative thing for you, right? It was sort of, I mean, my one brag, so they would have the championships, which was, I guess the 10 school private schools. I keep saying private. So it makes me want to blow my brains out, but I don't know how else to describe it. But I was seven. I was six in the city when I was 12, when I, in 1980. Yeah. In 1985, I think that was 1985. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to share with you before we move on. I'm going to share with you my a nightmare Brandon Smith Upper East Side story. When I was a senior in college, I dated a fabulous woman uh, from the Upper East Side. She, I think they lived on they lived on 88th or 89th between like second and third. Uh-huh. Uh, her name was Tara. She was very much an it girl in Manhattan. Uh, she was a couple years younger than me at school. And I knew that, you know, I was going to move to LA and, you know, she was really just starting her school life, but she was a thing. And I knew that it wasn't going to be, this was not going to be a long-term romance, but we had a fabulous time when I was a senior ah. and I came to visit her after Camp Laurel. <laughs> so that, so I come to Manhattan to visit her and I was staying with my friend, Beth Brebach, who lived on 87th. And, um, I went out with Tara and her friends, one of which was a polo kid, like literally one of the Loren boys um, who were famous yeah. at the time. Sure. Some of the they sure. were nephews or whatever the fuck they were. But anyway, yeah. I went so, with a bunch of them and it was either Nell's or Obar or the Mad Hatter. It was one of those places. And it was just me and her and her friends. And apparently one of her friends said to me. And you must know, I was pretty groovy during this period of yeah, time. Yeah, of course. But one of her friends said to me, or said to her, to Tara, oh, he's a commoner. Or, oh, he's common. And that, when she told me that later that night, and she didn't think that, but it it just destroyed me. I, I understood. I can't even, I'm destroyed. That is like the most, that is like, I feel like you wouldn't even see that in a Whit Stillman movie like that, like in Metropolitan, like that is so insane, Brendan. That's so fucking insane. Okay. Well, thank you. But right. Like, I, I mean, I, I had the, like the diluted version, which I, but, and I'm so sorry. Like that is an insane thing that, 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 well, that woman has a bad life now, by the way, whoever said that. But I remember when my best friend from New York saw Larry, who's from like, you know, Baltimore or whatever. And I remember like, I was, I think, yeah, we were, we did this play and I was like, I kind of like him. Like, I, I think, I, and, and my friend from New York goes, but we can't go on vacation with him. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, That's the same thing. It's, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And I remember being like, That's really? <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think this is it, but it's like, and I'm not my dreams aren't like the French Polynesia with this man, but I feel like I could take him to Bora Bora if I had to. <laughs> I've never been to Bora Bora. <laughs> well, I was from Pittsburgh and I had a thick Pittsburgh accent, but I was also at that period of time, I was really trying to be not just the coolest counselor at Camp Laurel, but I also wanted you to think that I was a member of the replacements. Like uh, that's how I dressed. That's how I walked through the world. I was that guy. Of course, but I was labeled common and it still stuck with me that this one. So when you were mentioning some of those places, I was instantly transported back to that booth because I remember it. And I remember who we were with because, again, we were with one of the Lauren boys, you know, Brad Lauren or Jeff Lauren, whoever the fuck. You know, right. and um, and it, yeah. it's weird, I, like it, it's like becomes indelibly etched in your brain. Because I remember when having like a when you the, the really insanely insulting thing that happens, like you remember everything, like where you were sitting. Like, well, know. also this particular woman who I was in madly in love with, she eventually married a hedge fund guy and is worth billions and billions of dollars. So okay. there you go. But look, fuck it. I'm broadcasting with you from my little apartment in uh, Beachwood Canyon. So life is good, right? 
life is great. Life is great. I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah, you Pittsburgh that, by the way, the Pittsburgh guy is the cool guy, not the funking little Forbes asshole that we were, you know, drinking Bartles and James with in his Park Avenue apartment, which had a swimming pool in it. Like, we're the assholes. Like, you're (laughs) fucking cool. Like, we're the assholes. (laughs) Since that initial breakup in 1985, the Go-Go's have reunited several times, recording new material and touring. Though the band's 2016 performances were billed as a farewell tour, the band remains active on an ad hoc basis. Head Over Heels, a musical featuring the Go-Go's, ran on Broadway at the Hudson Theater from 2018 to 2019, and the great Go-Go's doc directed by Allison Elwood premiered at Sundance in 2020. You can see that on Showtime. The Go-Go's received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2011, and they were just inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as I said, uh, at the top of the show. They are playing at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles on December 29th. Go-Go's musical on Broadway. Can you believe that? No. I feel like we had the documentary. Like, the documentary was amazing. I I had no idea Charlotte Caffey was a heroin addict. I was like, she's the My Little Pony, like Little Twin Stars one is this heroin addict. I was like, that blew my mind. Like, not, I mean, obviously, you know, you don't know with people, but that, that just really blew my mind. She is really hysterical. I went and saw they had a whole punk rock uh, panel at Largo. Uh, oh, cool. about two, like not a lot long before the pandemic. Um, there's a book out in the what? world, more fun in the, in the new world, written by uh, my buddy Tom Basavia and John Doe from X. And it's like just a, a lot of like narratives of that punk rock scene back in the late 70s, early 80s. And Charlotte Caffey has stories. And one of the stories she told at Largo that night was, they play at Rock and Rio, right? It's, you know, in the mid '80s, and they get a message that Rod Stewart wanted to hang with them and wanted to party with them, not knowing what a fucking party machine <laughs> the Go-Go's were at that period of time. Yeah. So they're like, "Okay, tell Rod to come over." Rod <laughs> comes over. They got him so fucked up that he almost had to cancel. <gasps> His slot at Rock and Rio. See, they're so they're fucking killers. That's why they're amazing. Like they're getting Rod Stewart. Like he has to get his stomach pumped because like they're fucking killers. Like, do you know Iris Berry? Yes, I do. Love Iris. I just I did not know this about her, but Iris Berry is a writer. Uh, she lived in an apartment building in Hollywood near Castle and Sunset, uh, where Belinda Carlisle lived in the late 70s. And it was a famous punk rock flop house called Disgraceland. It was a whole bunch of girls living in the shitty apartment right by the Hollywood YMCA. Pleasant Gaiman, who's kind of a punk rock icon, um, Belinda Carlisle. And like basically all the punk, punk bands would crash there. The parties would all happen there after the shows would close at Club Lingerie or The Mask or whatever. And I had no idea that our friend Iris lived there, too, until I literally just did a little bit of research before you came on. And I was like, oh, holy shit. That makes so much sense. Iris had this like fucking punk rock party period that I had no idea about. I'm not surprised. And that's so awesome to hear about. Now I want to do my own little deep dive into whatever, because that sounds like a man. Disgraceland sounds kind of magical. 
I wish I lived there. It said at the top of the show that the Go-Go's um, used to hang out at the Denny's on Sunset. It didn't say what Denny's, but I'm going to guess that it was the Denny's that is no longer there. That was right by the Rock and Roll Ralphs because that's where Rodney Bingenheimer ate every single day of his life. And not the Denny's on Sunset in Gower, nor the Denny's on Sunset in Van Ness. <laughs> I love the Denny's. Shit went down at Denny's. Not Red Lobster, not Sizzler, but at Denny's. <laughs> I wish there was a red lobster in Hollywood because I will say this to you every, like once a year, I'll be like, I kind of want to go to a red lobster. Uh, I've never been in, but I feel like I'm, I can see it being delicious. What would you get there? A well, lobster? you see fielding those of us who are common. Uh, um, <laughs> nice callback. <laughs> well, you know, commoners love popcorn shrimp. Uh, and you know, we love, uh, <laughs> I don't even, I don't know. I haven't been to a red lobster since probably 1978, but I want to go. And I wish there was one close by. Maybe it could just be a group rap party for <laughs> the Brando cats. It could just could be, be. be a red lobster. I mean, there's been, you know, not like when it's over, just it's like a celebration of what, you know, this is. I, I hear you. I will Google red lobsters. <laughs> Los Angeles and see if there's one. Maybe there's one in West Covina. There's well, there's got to yeah, be one in let's, town. Let's move it out. Let's go to Altadena just so because we don't necessarily want to run into people. I think I feel the same way about IHOP. Like I just need to get in there and have just and not be with anyone, just alone. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember a waitress being like, "Do you have friends coming? Like, are friends coming?" And I was like, "No, no friends. Just me. Just me." <laughs> Well, that's my there's my pitch for season three of Bitter Homes and Gardens. Maybe there's an episode where you guys get in such a mega fight that the only way you can heal yourself is to go to the IHOP on Wilshire and just eat alone. Oh my God. I love that. So I'm literally like writing that down right now in my little snoopy journal. Like that's that's happening. Yeah. And while while Larry, want- yeah, while Larry's home jerking off to his own reel and I'm at IHOP on Wilshire. <laughs> But you have to eat like you have to go like yeah. triple entree. Oh, yeah. You- <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, just keep them coming. Like, just keep them coming. Into, and then like I have just like intermittent or just transient bulimia. Like I've gotten over it. It was years ago, but it like just comes back for that meal. And I'm like, it's not a big deal because I'm like aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fielding. I have kept you for almost an hour and I hogged most of it by ranting about my time at Camp Laurel. No, hog. Are you kidding? This was a real rat-tat-tat-tat, real give and take, my friend. Quid pro quo. Like, and you know we're having ser- like off-air Camp Laurel, like, you know, series of... Co- There's a lot more to be mined there. Oh, yeah, because I can tell you what counselor life was like when they forced you to take a day off and go to Portland or Booth Bay. Wow. Even oh. when you didn't have any money to stay in a motel. Ooh. That was the only nightmare experience I had there. Like they literally made you leave wow. because they felt like you'd actually go crazy. Right. Right. You know, yeah. if, if you didn't take a break That's from smart. The kids. That's smart. Yeah. Just a little. Well, there was the weird bars. There was the bar. There was a bar near camp Laurel. It was probably a 10 minute drive on that main highway there. And it was basically a bar in a mobile home. Wow. <laughs> wow. Like, and Stephen King was like down the road, like doing a vlog. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that. Like I was very insulated, like just had my crush on Scott. Irwin? No, that was his name. I don't know. I mean, I just, 
I was in my little Jewy fantasy land, but I could water ski with one ski. I was slaloming. I was doing the like, I like with the like off the dock. I, I, I'm just here. I am bragging about my athletic accomplishments. I had to spend the night in the infirmary because I ran into a metal pole while I was um, uh, refereeing a basketball game. Oh my god! You and so I was. I was running. <laughs> yeah, I did. And this was I just one summer. I also this did one summer that all this one happened. summer, one summer. Yep, one summer, because I had a bunch of my friends from Northwestern were had already been there, and they were trying to start like a fee, like a real theater program at Camp Laurel. They had this vision of like they've got the resources, they're going to build us a theater. So let's get our friends to come out and oh, try to start to develop like like, a real deal theater right. program at Camp yeah. Laurel. Uh, okay. What was that? What was going on in Interlochen? I don't yeah, know. That. I feel like that's the premier theater. I don't fucking know because I wasn't a part of that. But like, yeah. But I, yeah, I don't <laughs> see Camp Laurel. I just remember them being like, "We're putting on Once Upon a Mattress." Everyone come. Like, I don't remember Laurel having like a lot of drama stuff. But I think they did what they could. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, all right. Is there anything that you would like to throw out there? Promote. Uh, are you doing any ap- live appearances uh, in the not I'm, I'm getting future, back on or? stage slowly but surely. But yeah, I really appreciate um, the bitter homes love. Um, I, I really appreciate that, Brendan. But yeah, if you're in Hollywood, um, I host and produce a show called Eat, Pray, Fuck at the Hollywood Improv. And it's the third Saturday of every month. So come out December 18th. And I basically just book all headliners and me. So that's my little secret. So come out December 18th at the improv. <laughs> Eat, pray, fuck. Well, fantastic. I have had uh, nothing but good times with you today. And, it was a blast. Um, I can't wait to see you in person and uh, and PA on Bitter Homes and Gardens. Absolutely. Folks, and we'll see you as the EP. That's right. Fantastic. Okay. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, listening, subscribing. The Brando cast is growing exponentially, and we've got so many great guests coming down the pike. But come on, who is more fun than fielding? And, of course, the Brando cast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens, 